everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. This week's guest is Rollo McGinty, who was the lead singer of an excellent British pop band of the late 80s called The Wooden Tops. So here's the story with them. They put out what is widely acknowledged as a bit of a debut masterpiece with their first album in 1986 called Giant. It is a just a slab of perfect pop, but in that vein of like Prefab Sprout or Let's Active or Railway Children where there's a slight little bit of quirk in there too. So that comes out and it's amazing. But what happens afterwards is really interesting. Their follow-up to that is a live album where everything is sort of fast and revved up and energized and punky. Very strange. And then their second album finally comes out and in the late 80s. And by then, they are heavily influenced by Madchester and the baggy scene. And suddenly that perfect pop of Giant becomes heavily influenced by things like the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays. We've heard other bands in this podcast mention the same influence as changing their sound. Well, that happened to the Wooden Tops too. And then they go away for 25 years until 2014 when Rollo reforms the band and they release finally their third album, Granular Tales. And that album is incredible, but it sounds a lot like the first album. So what Rollo and I talk about is, you know, what they did, what he did specifically for those 25 years, and he nails it in this. He calls, he refers to himself as schizophrenic, and I think that is the perfect description of what Rollo's style and what the wooden tops represented, which was an artistic restlessness. Also, I got to tell you, this is a, another listener request. Dave Marshall. Hi, Dave. Thanks for listening. David is the one who asked me to track down Rollo. I was happy to do it. Also, I made a mistake in here. I just want to give you a heads up. Rollo and I start talking about REM, and he mentions a, a night he hung out with Mike Mills. And I mistakenly refer to Mike Mills' new band as Modern Baseball. It's actually called The Baseball Project. Wanted you to know that I knew I got that one wrong. Okay. Rollo called me from his home in Deptford outside of London. The focus of the podcast is to tell the stories of sort of the smaller artists, you know, the other guys who maybe maybe they were famous for a little while, maybe they were almost famous, maybe they are more of a behind-the-scenes person. I'm ticking all those boxes. Exactly, right? You guys disappear forever. So I put it out to my listeners all the time. If anyone has a band that they would like me to track down and hear more from, to let me know. And one of my listeners, his name's Dave Marshall, he lives in Atlanta, he contacted me and asked specifically if I would interview you. So I thought, well, sure, let's do it. So I was vaguely familiar with Wooden Tops because I have the Scared to Get Happy box set, and I know plenty is on there. Browns. 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 Browns.
that was all I really knew. And so I've been just going back and devouring all of the wooden tops music I can get my hands on to, first of all, I love it. And secondly, to be able to talk coherently with you about your career and, you know, your music and everything like that. Anyway, yeah, that's okay. how this is going to go, if you're okay with that. Yeah, I mean, so we we came to America quite a few times in the 80s, and we would have played about three albums worth of stuff, uh-huh. uh, varying from, I think the first time we came to America, we played the East and West Coast, and I think we were probably just on round about releasing our album, our Rough Trade album, Giant. We may have come just before there and played places like Maxwell's in Hoboken and you know, Spitz Club in Boston, the I-Beam in, in San Francisco. I, 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 it's all a little bit of a blur, but by the time we finished, we were doing you know proper U.S. tours, although I don't think we ever came to Denver. You know, I actually grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is the next state right. over. And you were even less likely to have played there. I get that. A lot of bands didn't come through. That's better now. So I wouldn't have... I mean, I've I've probably heard a couple of Wooden Top songs on the radio periodically here and there, especially back in the day. You probably don't know this, but Salt Lake City loved 80s alternative rock. And they still do. So it gets played, but I don't remember you passing through town. I don't even remember seeing videos on MTV, necessarily. What was your level of acceptance or fame in the States back during the heyday? We topped the alternative charts. We were on MTV. We recorded a live album at the Palace in Los Angeles, and that went out live on K-Rock. But then CBS, who were in partnership with Rafael Columbia, they, they bought into it, and they wanted to have American money in one of our projects. So... That came out as a basically part American financed album, the live one, Hypno Beat the Live. live. Intercontinental, down a nice river, just me and a few things. I'm the other racker, saved up all my pennies, took a little loan, one dimension to get now, just me alone. That's like, that's like now singing to the rhythm, rhythm of the love train, singing to the rhythm, rhythm of the love train. Can I just tell you, I've been listening to all your stuff and that hypno beat. I, is it weird that I think that's my favorite of all the stuff that I've heard from you? I just love how well, like, energetic and sped up it is. Yeah, well, that was kind of just sort of normal, you know. But the thing about that was we thought it was just a concert we were doing on local radio, uh, and that was it. But it turned into something else in the. It was a big hit here on the kind of independent scene. It was like number one for ages on the album's charts. 
went down really well here. And, you know, people still say that's, you know, one of the benchmark live albums, which is great. But what's really interesting about it, on top of that, was that one of the tracks from that got played by DJs here at the beginning of what they call the second summer of love, which was basically, you know, when house music and dance music mm-hmm. got right. really big here. And actually, yeah, you know, rock music sort of fell into the background for a lot of people right. for a while there. And interestingly enough, it was one of the tracks off that album was one of the first kind of hits on that scene. We didn't really? know. We we, we were away, yeah. Uh, the one Which Why, song? Why, Why. Talking about 
getting a lot more electronic, but you're saying that was the intention from the beginning. Oh, yeah, because just about everything was written electronically, and then we'd all get together and play it. You know, I used to oh. I, I sort of record the stuff using drum machines and stuff, and okay. four tracks, and then take it in. So it was all about real tightness, and, and then that was actually hard for us to achieve that. You know, uh, it mm. took a lot of practicing to, to get it as tight as the drum machines and everything, and we weren't happy till the whole of the, the the live venue was gyrating from the front mm -hmm. right to the back. Got it. And to okay. get that to happen, you've got to have really tight beats, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but that's what we were about in our rhythm section right from the word go. We were in Chicago at some point in the kind of latest eighties, and we we went to Bad Brains Record Shop, but somebody took us and showed us around, and we went into this massive club called the Warehouse, and there was a DJ in there just sort of practicing a bit, and it was uh, Frankie Knuckles. And, oh, you know, I just remember that moment we heard something that sounded really new. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounded like a cross between like disco, but it wasn't high energy, but it, right. it wasn't craft work, but it was kind of groovy. And it had a smell of jazz about it as well. You know, it was just really, really interesting. And when we got back to UK, this whole thing had kicked off. But what we didn't know was when we were playing countries like Spain, we'd be playing in big open-air discos at 4 o'clock in the morning. And that's the point at which the new crowd started to discover us. Because, oh. yeah, and then it sort of right. went to Ibiza. And then the English guys who went to Ibiza, they came back with it. And they started clubs here and playing that track. So that well, it kind of fell into it all, but it all really came from DJs in Ibiza, like uh, DJ Alfredo and uh, Leo Mass and Trevor Fung yeah. and all those. Wow. So, yeah. So I yeah, mean, the record okay. didn't understand it at all. They didn't. The record. There was no point talking to the record company. They didn't know what I was talking yeah. about. Right. You know, these places they were playing and have like ten thousand people in them. Yeah. You know, and they knew every every word of the song. And they're all dancing, right? And you want to be mad. That. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah, we were piecing up. But the funny thing is, is when I used to go to clubs and they would play that version of Why, 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 uh, everything had sounded so studio produced and was so really kind of like syncopated and, and uh -huh. tight. And suddenly when Why came on, it sounded really rowdy after all yeah. of that. But, That's what I but, love about that live album. Yeah, so, but it's, the, it's those woodblocks and it's the acoustic yeah. guitar. It's the kind of... Yeah. Flamenco. Well, I'm curious then, you saying this, I mean, Giant has a reputation for being like one of the perfect pop albums. And, but it almost sounds like what you're saying is that Giant, I mean, the Giant, does Giant sound, I should clarify, Giant is your first album for anyone who doesn't, who's listening that doesn't know that. Uh, your debut album from 1986. 
does it sound, are you comfortable with the way Giant turned out and with its legacy today? Or were they, was it not quite capturing what wooden tops were all about at that moment? When it became a schizophrenic band, it became it became a kind of a studio band and a live band, and that's why we put Hip Hip okay. Beat Live out. But there's an awful lot to be said about the production values of Giant. I think that we came out of it a much better band than we went into it. I think it stands the test of time. Yeah, I mean, I still feel good about it. I still listen to okay, it. Okay, good. Did you know Hypno Beat was going to come out as an album, or were you just no? I had no idea. It? Yeah, that's what I thought because it was just for a yeah. radio station, right? Okay. Yeah. But it, it well, came I thought out, that it became a new, its own thing. Yeah. I just thought that Giant sounded a bit more like Hypno Beat Live when we were in the studio. But then when it was mixed, it was mixed very much for radio with that sort of 80s sensibility of what radio is. So, yeah, I, I would say that the only things that I possibly, I would probably want more bass and more bass drum and mm. <laughs> just a bit harder. Yeah. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're kind of the creative force within the band, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Was everyone I mean, else... I that my musicians, you know, are very important to right. have them. Everyone's contributing, but they're sort of contributing mostly to your vision, it sounds like. Are they as on board as you are for being as schizophrenic as you were? Where were their heads at? Do you have an idea? Well, I'd say that Simon, the guitarist, is quite into sonic art. The drummer is an artist. The bass okay. player, yeah, definitely, he's he also he was there at that time, so he knew about the kind of wanting to rock it up live thing. I mean, we don't have the same keyboard player as that time now, and uh, unfortunately, we don't have the same drummer either. You know, so mm. but the, the, the drummer is the benchmark for the drummer of now. <laughs> right. Okay. Got it. Okay. But again, you know, he was sort of fairly chained to beats that I'd written, but he mm -hmm. played them. But I think getting faster and faster was possibly my fault. <laughs> okay. Well, that's okay. That's what you were getting into, right? Okay. Now, i got to ask you some questions specifically about your second album, Wooden Foot Cops on the Highway, because yes. there are some pretty, in my mind, well-known names attached to this album. First of all, and I'm just there are three in particular. I want to ask you about Bernie Worrell, Doug Wimbush, and Scott Litt. Now, how did you get involved with all three of those people? Let's start with Doug. Because he, after this, as you know, went on to join Living Color in the 90s yeah. Yeah. and has been there ever since. But how did he join you? They all work with a producer called Adrian Sherwood. Adrian Sherwood has done quite a lot of remixes for us, and he did from kind of the early 80s. Well, in fact, he did the remix of that song, Why, 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 right when it was started and when it first came out. Um, okay. And uh, but there's lots more now. But when I partly lived in New York, there were friends of mine in New York as well. These musicians, uh, Doug and Skip McDonald and uh, Keith LeBlanc, and we have been good friends and done quite a lot of shows together. And a lot of that album was programmed using the the Atari and the kind of Starboat Pro 24 program. And there were some things that I just wanted live on, and just the way the circumstances were at that time, it felt good to ask Gary Lucas to come and do some extra Americana guitar. Do you know Gary Lucas? I do, yeah. I've been asking about him. Yeah. I want to get deeper into Yeah, he's very things. busy these days. It, I think I yeah. think that session actually brought him out of retirement, so he, sort of, he, he, he always sort of thanks me for bringing him up. Back to playing guitar again. Did you make uh, that second album in the UK, or were you over here in the States? 
No, both. It was. It started in UK. In right. fact, some of it was even programmed in my flat. And then uh, it went to the studio in London. And then the mixing, Scott and I went over. Now, Scott worked on the live album. That's where I first met Scott, where he okay. was the engineer. He was the engineer. I think it was Power Station, one of those. Uh, he was the engineer who worked on that with me. So when the, the American label wanted to have something to do with our second album, they wanted to put money into it and they wanted to to consider having a, an American producer. And because I'd already worked with Scott, it felt like perfect to work with him again. I like Scott. Yeah. So I flew over to Nashville and Scott was working with REM and I stayed with them yeah. for about three, three or four days in their house. Okay. You stayed with REM yeah. for three or four days? And Yes. Yeah, it was fantastic. And they were lovely. And then, yeah. And then Do you have any stories? Anything in particular stick out from that those three or four days? Anything yeah. you can tell? Nothing, nothing naughty. Um, okay, okay. Well, I'm just wondering no. if you know something sticks in your brain. If you guys, well, actually, you know, you know that sort of throw and catch where you have the big leather glove like the field keeper's glove, and you just throw mm-hmm. and catch. Is, is the bass player called Mike? In, uh, yeah, Mike Mills. Mike, yes. Yeah. Was 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 in the sun in Nashville, out the back of the house doing that with, with Mike for ages and just chatting and throwing the ball and catching it. And for me, that's, that felt like such an American thing to do. So for yeah. him, it was, for me, that was like I was on another planet. I was being an American. It was really fun. That's for so me, funny. I, now, so you're saying playing catch like baseball? with a with Yeah, a, one person yeah. throws. Or maybe we yeah. both had a glove. Maybe we both had a yeah, glove. Yeah, that's baseball. Well, the baseball yeah. is the game, but you're playing catch. You know what's funny about that is obviously REM has broken up. And he's now in a band called Modern Baseball, and they sing only songs about baseball. And so here, almost 30 years ago, he was out playing catch with his baseball. So clearly baseball has been on Mike Mills' mind for a long time. Yeah. That's really interesting. Okay, cool. It was just such a lovely time, that talking with him and doing that. So also, also, uh, I remember there was a club in Nashville had a band, a live band playing, and R.E.M. came and and invaded, and they played. In this little tiny club, I remember that. That was quite good fun. I would not yeah. have associated you with them. Did you specifically seek out Scott because of his association with REM? Were you getting into that? Uh, no, that no. Happen? I mean, I no. I liked REM anyway, but um, I, uh-huh. I didn't. No, it had nothing to do with it. He, he, whoever he'd been working with, I had to visit him then, and we had to, we had to, I had to play him the tracks, and we had to talk about it, and sort of begin thinking and. You know, basically, I I took a, a whole bunch of totally electronically produced track with me on cassette, um, on metal okay. cassette, over there, and he, he he didn't really have that much experience of working in that field, so that was all interesting yeah. all around. Good. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting connection. I would not have guessed. Now, how did Bernie Worrell happen? There was a part, and I said something jokingly about, oh, it would be great to get someone like Bernie Worrell to kind of cover that part, to cover that idea. Scott being Scott just said, well, you know, if you like, I can just phone Bernie and ask him. (laughs) 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 He did, and Bernie Worrell, who is an absolutely major hero of mine, just turned up. Yeah, of course. Helped him get his keyboards upstairs. I know. So, you know, it was... Did he play on more than one song? Or did did he play on the whole album or just one song? No, he just played on one song. Which song was it? What you give out. What you give out. 
give up, we'll surely come back to you. Watch give up, we'll surely come back to you. Watch give up, we'll surely come back to you. Watch give up, we'll surely come back to you. You can sing a song, I am beg a man, money, you can get along without playing funny. Let me come on strong. Let me come on strong. Oh, let me come on strong, strong. Watch give up, we'll surely come back to you. See, I only have digital copies of this, so that I don't have all the liner notes and who played on what and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Okay, okay yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things because... The, the 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 giant album had been a whole year of non-stop touring to promote it, mm-hmm. and then it was we got back to London and we had a, a few days till Christmas, and then I was back in the studio to record the new album in March, and I didn't have anything written at all, so I just kind of locked myself in the rehearsal room, took some equipment into the rehearsal room, and just like was a hermit in there, and all I did was ride my bike and be in there. You know, I had the the album ready in time. I mean, I, I wish there was a couple more songs on it, but it just didn't have enough time. And yeah. and then we were straight in the studio. So, like Giant and all the singles before, we had been playing those for years. Some of those were our first songs, you know. And then yeah. Wooden Footcocks on the Highway was really difficult because everybody just had to just come in there and do it, but they didn't have any time to rehearse it. You know, I mm. had some vague ideas. And so I found that I was increasing the size of the palette of, of colors. Now, where does Gary Lucas fit into all this? He played guitar on, you make me feel he played Dobro on that, and he played guitar on a Wheels Turning. I remember he's definitely on those two. Opportunity, are the rest of pass me by? Catch what I can like a boomerang, coming down from above. Gary was part of a label called Upside. It was an independent label in New York that put out all our original 12-inch singles and B-sides into one package, which would officially really have been our first album. But Giant was the first studio album, everything gone and recorded at once. But there was an album worth of stuff already out, which was all of the singles and and associated tracks, yeah. Okay. So he was a part of that, and did you guys meet? Were you yeah, admirer of his because, work, or did someone we recommend did because, it? Yeah, he worked at CBS, and one time I went over to CBS, and somebody said, 
oh, there's somebody who really wants to meet you. And this guy was walking down the wall, walking down the corridor towards me, holding himself up on the wall, like somebody who, who waddles, but only to one side. Right. Uh, and there was this guy with his hound outstretched who looked absolutely shit-faced. It was Gary. Wow. Interesting. And it, but then you guys kind of worked together for a while, right? We did. We became really good friends, and that was why I invited him to come down and, you know, throw throw some licks down a bit on the Wooden Foot Cop session. We went okay. to a lot of venues in New York together. We went to yeah. the Kitchen. We went to Sleeping Bag Records. Now, were you... To... Oh, no, go ahead. Yes, if the fellow, uh, he did uh, Arthur Russell. We used to go and see Arthur okay. Russell a oh, lot. Oh, interesting, really? Yeah, and then oh. Arthur asked if I'd go and work with him, so I worked with Arthur, and that was all people I met you, through Gary in New York when I was half You did? You worked with Arthur Russell? Hmm. Was he as big a trip as people say he is? He was really calm, really cool, and it was a gas working for him. Really appreciative oh, guy. Wow, yeah. good. I mean, okay. yeah, his ch- I'd seen him play and sing and play cello and through the echo and all that. Yeah. Fascinating. Now, of course, most people associate Gary Lucas because of his collaboration with Jeff Buckley. And well, Captain Beefheart before. That's where he came yes, from. Yes, very true. At well, Jeff Buckley replaced me because I was singing for Gods and Monsters, and then I got a bit busy and uh, I couldn't be in America all the time, so uh, he needed somebody else to sing, and uh, he met Jeff, so Jeff did it. Oh, okay, so that's where Jeff is. Now, did you ever meet Jeff? No. Oh, that's a shame. He's one of those characters that's kind of grown in infamy after death, unfortunately. I'm I'm lucky that I discovered him pretty early on, so I was an yeah. early adapter of Jeff Buckley, but that yeah. Grace album is amazing. Yeah. So, okay. I quite like his dad, actually. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Yeah, okay. Well, I thought the Grace... Yeah, I mean, I thought the songs on the Grace album sounded like a continuation of what... We were doing in Gods and Monsters, but with a different voice. Like some of the guitar parts are finger picking. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to some of those songs, like is it called Kill the Rabbit on 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 his Gods and Monsters LP? he was going that way yeah well it sounds like you're kind of fluttering all over the world i mean you're you're collaborating for long stretches of time with a lot of american artists deeply american artists i mean scott well Lynn yeah REM are about as american mm-hmm. as it gets and then you're also mm-hmm. i guess headquartered still in the uk what are you doing uh, well, floating around well i just sort of recently did an album which we 
mixed in Turkey, and I work with someone in Turkey, uh, which is called Granular Tales, that's come out. But we seem to be playing Giant a lot at the moment. We're doing a Giant tour at the moment. We're, we've got a, yeah. a big show in London doing that. Uh, and I'm really, you know, there's so much other stuff to play. I must admit, I'm really looking forward to playing some of the newer stuff, which is, it's, people have said it's a bit like Giants. I mean, I can't, I can't believe you can live a whole life and go in a big circle and come back and make an album, get everyone back together, make an album, and someone says, oh, it really sounds like Giants. I think it's just because my voice and the guitar, I think. Maybe. Or maybe yeah. it's more than that. Maybe it's the rhythms. Yeah, no, I don't know. Carries the sun in a honey skin. Palm trees still rustle in her breezy hair and in her eyes. Some mystery that keeps me there. And her looking out to sea slows down. I would say, I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been listening to a ton of it lately. I love all of them, but Granular Tales, I would say, is most like Giant and some of the other stuff. Yeah, I'd probably agree. Maybe so. You know, I'd, you I'd can tell they come from coming. the same band. I mean, the obvious question, and this is something that I end up asking a lot of my guests, because like I said, I try to focus on kind of the littler guys that, you know, aren't in the public eye as much. Where did you go? Where does Rolo go for 26 years or whatever? I went really underground. I went really the opposite of rock and roll. I went really electronic. I had a number of sort of underground hits under the name of Pluto. Yeah, I did quite a lot of breakbeat work, programming work. I worked with a lot of quite sort of famous house artists. I did some TV and film music. I did okay. quite a lot of live music acoustically. Wooden Tops was a real surprise to have that back in my life again. I, I didn't think that would ever happen, and it did. Yeah. Some, somebody put up the money. We all got together, and it was it was really a good good uh, a good good session. Great. Now this may sound like a really naive question, but this I'm here's here I am an outsider. I know nothing about the music industry. I only know that I like bands. When a band like yours comes out, and there's obviously such high quality and so much good stuff, and it only lasts two albums. Why does a band go away? Why do they stop? Is it because your uh, interests because have become different or you can't stand each other anymore? Or what no, no, no. It was a, legal, a totally illegal situation that, that basically pulled the, pulled the shutters down for a while. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a dispute, really. It's one of those things. It sort of, it's okay. I, I'm not that bothered about it. I was angry at the time, but I actually was finding that I wanted to experiment in, and it sounds like the big cliche, but I did want to experiment in new musical styles. And in fact, at that time, the last incarnation of the Wooden Tops had quite a few extra musicians. It was a really big sound, but it was a bit expensive. When when the legal thing happened, it was really expensive to keep that going, so we stopped. Yeah, 
and then I got really into DJing. But DJing for me was another way to play your music. So I was making dub plates of what well, sort of bits of the tracks on different records and mixing them live and with three DJs all working together really tight. I did that for a bit and I should have continued doing that but for some reason I stopped. Now it's DJs are new are their new rock stars. Right? Well there you go, yeah. yeah. Uh but, but you know, it, to me DJing was quite similar to something that we used to do in the studio which was where you would fly from one tape onto another tape and you had to make it absolutely tight. So you might have 24 tracks of backing vocals mixed down to make a really nice big sounding backing vocal, which we did on Giant quite a lot, and then run the tape and then press press record at exactly the right time. So the chorus is now on two tracks rather than 24 tracks. And, you know, that's just using tape. And some of those techniques are the same as what DJs do. Okay. You know, you know, you sync the track up and you, you get the timing right and you drop it in. And hopefully you've chosen a track where it's not all out of tune, you know. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because you've fed one up and slowed another or whatever. You know, that's why so many DJ records okay. have, a, have a bit of bit of time with just the beat going before the, the yeah. song starts. So you can sync it in without... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I got really into kind of club culture and club music and that was really busy for a long time. And then, um, yeah, and then with the top started. Good, again. okay. Wow. Yeah. Now, if you had remained a DJ, how do you feel about the current, I mean, we, they call it EDM. I don't know if you would consider the kind of DJing you were doing, like, you know, Well, I don't really know what that is. I mean, it says electronic, yeah, is that electronic dance music? I, I don't know. That's such a broad term. I mean, you know, yeah. you've got one side, you've got things like floating points and, mm-hmm. you know, which is sometimes really quite magical. And, and then you've got, like, deep and dark techno. And, you know, there's just so many different forms now because there's so many different kinds of instruments and there's so many people using them at such a varied place you know i kind of like a lot of what i hear not always knowing what it, what it is because there's just so much music coming from all di- different directions now whether yeah. it be on the videos or whether it be on you know sort of rt films has got a really cool yeah. piece of music on. you think what's that yeah i mean it's a really beautiful piece of music which accompanied very old film of london like you know from from the beginning of color cameras and stuff, you know, and someone put like a really modern piece of music on it. It was really beautiful, you know, there I was combing yeah. the internet to try and find out what it was, you know. Yeah, I mean, for Wooden Tops at the moment, we've got a new project coming out, which is literally 10 different mixes of YYY on a 30th anniversary. Sorry. All by, yeah, all by different sort of quite well-known over here DJs who got in touch with me and asked oh. if they could do one. So it's just sort of come together okay. with... Yeah. organically people asking can they do one so yeah so we're doing like okay. about 10 yeah. 10 versions of the same song on one album <laughs> well that's stuff like that is cool though i mean i always find those kinds of things interesting especially if it's a song i like and it's 10 different versions by 10 different people i like that kind of stuff yeah um, well they're all quite different these mixes and yeah, you know there's two or three of them already absolutely killing it in clubs right now so nice. um okay yeah do you consider yourself a musician songwriter, a rock star, a DJ, a producer? How do you categorize yourself? Or are you uh, not? Like you just flit around doing whatever? Yeah, I think I flit around doing whatever because one week I might find myself kind of, you know, being like a conductor arranging a band. And then when we're playing live, I just feel like I'm absolutely a singer. Sure. But then 
you know, when I'm at home and I'm knocking up ideas, then I'm a writer and I'm also a producer. So all okay. of those things. All of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're clearly killing it at all of them. And I worry so, about okay. if I can play my scales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So one of the things we talk about in the podcast is the business side or the money side of people's careers. And yes. it sounds like even though wooden tops didn't last all that long, it sounds like you've consistently paid your bills through music ever since, right? Oh, usually, but there's been times where I've had to augment it. You know, you okay. don't earn as much as you used to in this modern musical climate, I'm afraid. Of course. You don't get yeah. anything anything like the amount of money for millions of plays on Spotify as you did yeah. if millions of people went and bought the record. I mean, it's it's completely a no-brainer that there's much less money in music than there was. You know, I mean, Wooden Tops was a really organized financial plan by our management and stuff. And, you know, was, we were all earning a regular wage, right, for, right for, you know, I mean, I... I've, I've spoken to other musicians who are, who are in bands much more famous than us, and I can't believe how little they were earning. It's just right. shocking. You know, we we had a fair system that was fairly run, but you know, I still live off royalties, but right. quite a lot of them are for for things that came after wooden tops. Okay, that's what I was wondering about because yeah. I don't like what is wooden tops' signature hit. What do you close your shows? With? Uh, what do people want to hear? Probably we tend to finish it with one of our early singles, which has moved me. a few hits and there's Love Train, there's Why Why Why, there's yeah. Good Thing, there's Everyday Living, there's sure. you know, there's a few of them. Uh, there's You Make Me Feel, there's Stop This Car, you know, some sure. of them are internet hits, you know, it's yeah, there's quite a few of them. Okay. The reason I asked that question that way is because you had mentioned making money off royalties from your songs. Were were any of those hits big enough to sustain you? You were talking. I mean, you couldn't sit back and retire and live off wooden tops royalties from Stop This Car or something like that. Right? Uh, no, I couldn't. Uh, there was a time when it was doing pretty okay. There was a an, an issue. There was something that happened during the market marketing of Giant that is a technical thing that went on in the background that made the crucial difference between whether that was a number one album or top five album from being a top 20 album. 
that made a lot of difference. So if yeah. the album had been a number one album and the single had been a number one single, because it was getting enough radio play and it was getting enough, you know, it was all there. Yeah. Except, okay. except for all it was technically, the records weren't in the shops. So after giving us a lot of extra time, the radio had to kind of back off playing us quite so much because the, the record wasn't continuing to go up the charts. It seemed to Got have okay. peaked. And that was actually because of the technical thing. It has nothing to do with us at all. So, yeah. you know, I, I would have been, yeah, really loaded if, that, if it had done that. Yeah, no kidding. Interesting, okay. And then but I'm glad it was. I'm glad I'm not. I'm glad it didn't, you know, so there you go. Really? Why? Well, yeah, because life's not just about money. And money does yeah. help, but uh, with money becomes the worry about sustaining the money. Yeah. And that's not the right reasons to be writing. That's a great answer. So then when you guys come back together for Granular Tales, you had mentioned, was that completely motivated because somebody was making you a really good offer you couldn't refuse? Or were you uh, starting no. to think, no. I've got songs that are good for wooden tops, i got to do this again? Nope. What it was was somebody sent us a desk mix from a show we did in 1988 in Spain, and they sent it to me just at the end of 2005, and I listened to it, and it was splendid, and I said to myself... God, someone ought to be doing this. And I thought, well, you know, that is our job. <laughs> so I phoned yeah. everyone and said, said, you know, listen, I've got this CD. It's it's amazing. You know, I, I'm wondering we should all play together again. Let me send it to you. So I sent everybody the CD and everyone came back with, yes, let's do it. Oh, so, um, yeah, it was. So it was, really, you know, but then at that time, somebody spunked up the money to fly the drummer over from New Zealand. You know, it was a very expensive thing to do. So we did it with all the original players that first that first tour. But obviously we couldn't sustain a flight from New Zealand every time we played. Sure. So we, we, I, I needed, unfortunately, to, to move on a little bit. Okay. Is your whole focus these days wooden tops? Or, for instance, I'll tell you, didn't you just DJ at a record shop for record store day? Yes, but I did play a hell of a lot of new wooden tops. Oh, you did? Oh, interesting. Okay. Because yeah, well, yeah. we were talking about DJing, and you were talking about getting more into electronic music. You're obviously kind of... Uh, That's what I play when I... Do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm wondering uh, when if... When I DJ, like, all original stuff. You do. Okay. I'm wondering yeah. if wooden tops is your primary focus. That's where most of your attention goes. That's how you pay your bills. And then you do the DJing or whatever else you want to do on the side. Or is it always just kind of a round robin of whatever is top of mind at that period? It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's about calendar. Am I free? I would say that every Wooden Tops gig has so much stuff to organize that yeah. at the moment I probably it has taken over my life again. And I'm probably thinking majorly most of the time about things that are Wooden Tops related, whether it's about chasing people up or or organizing rehearsals or being with everybody or talking to them or, or, or worrying. <laughs> you know, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Neurosis. <laughs> Total right. neurosis. Yeah. yeah. Or, or yeah. you know, I mean, next week is all about the show on Thursday. And then when okay. the show on Thursday is done, Friday's about putting, taking everything back after the show on Thursday and yeah, saying goodbye to the Off he goes back to Barcelona. We're an international band. And then it'll be worrying about uh, I'm doing a residency here uh, where I live, where I'm playing music and then I'm bringing in a guest. So I'll be worrying about the oh, first one of those. Cool. Uh-huh. And then there's a tour at the end of May. We're doing about six dates. 
would be that. Wow, interesting. Where do you Take live? Up all my time. I'm curious. I, I live in a place called Deptford, which is very musically active and is in South London. Okay, cool. What you remember, Squeeze? Yeah, the band one of my Squeeze. favorite bands of all time. Yeah. Oh well, they're from Deptford. Oh, good. Yeah, I love the that. Same with the Squeeze. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Do you have a preference? Is there any one thing that satisfies you more than the rest creatively? Oh. Or do you get uh, off on bouncing around? You need to do that. I really love one of the remixes on the, the new release. I can listen to it all day. It's so fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm... I forgot what the question was. Um, what, but, when are, what are you happiest doing? Are you happiest doing wooden tops? Are you happiest doing mute movie uh, music? Are you happiest DJing? No, happiest? It's all, no you know what? It's, it's all music. I'm, I'm just happy as long as it's music. Okay. Just anything. Mm. Just being around music, yeah. being creative. I do really, I do I do get a big kick out of wooden tops, yeah. When, but you know, it's a very technical thing. We get together and we we you know, we look at the nuts and bolts and you know and then when when we play live, you know, it just all goes to pieces. It's great. Cool. Okay, good. <laughs> the more, more we rehearse the better it will be. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Is there any chance of wooden tops coming to the States? Is there um, much of a draw for that? We've been so close. Yeah, we've been close a lot of times. You know, we're working on it. We really would, would like to return to the States. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Boy, that'd be great. We'd love it. Okay. Mm. I always ask people what their favorite memory is of their career and then what their Ooh. biggest regret is. Now, it sounds like you're the kind of person that you'd pretty much done what you wanted most of the time. I mean, a lot of the people I talk to aren't in music anymore, not because they don't want to be, but because, you know, the record label dropped them or whatever. So, you know, did you get to meet any heroes? Did you open for bands that you love? Do you uh, have any fun stories of peers that Yeah, I mean, I've people met love? Many, a, many a hero. Um, uh, the band, the punk rock band Suicide that I really love. Mm. I met them and did their live sound for them in Japan. John Martin, the folk singer, I always loved uh-huh. him. I got to hang around with him, uh, working with Bernie Worrell, um, working with Lee Scratch Perry. He came in, we did some stuff with him. I just, I, have to, I just have to say one thing. Talk about schizophrenic. The first four names out of your mouth are in four completely different genres of music. I think that, that yeah, speaks yeah. to the kind of mind, creative mind that you have. Yeah, I mean, you know, I could get further. I mean, seeing seeing the uh, the garage DJ from Kiss FM, New York City, Tony Humphreys, playing at the Ministry of Sound, which is like a super club here, uh, playing at Ministry of Sound with three three copies of one of my records on his decks, working oh, wow. three three mixing three together to extend the tune. That was like a re- that that blew my mind. You know, hearing Why Why Why. Right. Doing why 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 the first time in a massive club and everyone was just going nuts and then suddenly that came on, but uh, I don't know. There's just so many of them. It's, okay. It's, uh, yeah. Good. It's, so it's been I a full a life. Charmed life. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Okay. Do you have any regrets? Yeah. Not getting to work with David Bowie. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. He he sort of declared himself a massive fan of Giant, and and got in touch to say that. You know, not only was it his favorite album, but he'd gone and bought, you know, all of the singles. And the no message way. was, I've, I've got every single thing you've ever recorded. And that really blew me away. And, and I'd met him yeah. briefly for some reason. And then then he booked us to play with him. And we were 
going to meet him at the after. He was sit, he was at the side of the stage during the sound check, jiggling around, and he was at the side of the stage for most of the actual gig, ignoring people talking to him, just like really enjoying it. And uh-huh. and so I wanted that night would have been my chance to really meet him properly. And the person that I was with suddenly had absolute like insane stage fright as he walked towards us oh, and no asked me to ask me to take her home. Could I take her home? And so I took her home. Oh. And, and I was thinking, you know, I should have just said, you know, we well, you know where the bus is. Yeah, no kidding. I regret that. Died. I regret that. Because I was going to ask David Bowie, would he like to produce our next album? Would he consider it after what he'd said to me? And, and I sort of, you know, thought about it a lot. I'm just wow. thinking, but you can only ask, you know. I'd say, yeah. you know, if we can find the right budget and whatever. And he may have done it. You know, that would have been, oh. our third album would have been produced by David Bowie if, oh if I hadn't. Yeah, so I left. <laughs> oh. I think I regret that. I regret that. Yeah, yeah. He's my all-time favorite. If I don't bring him up, somebody else brings him up in almost every episode of the podcast yes. I've had. In fact, yeah. I was lucky enough I got to interview Carlos Alomar, his yes. guitarist. And yes. Carlos is married to Robin Clark, who sang right. with him and sang with Simple Minds. And I got to interview okay. her as well. And so Bowie is like... Any any Bowie stories I can get from somebody, I I love them. Yeah, no, no. I mean, he was so charming and uh, really happy yeah. chappy. So, you know, I I really oh. I actually quite seriously thought that would be a good idea. Jeez. But um, yeah, it never was to okay. be because rough. Okay. Well, look, this was fun. Thank you for talking to me, Rollo. There you have it, Rollo McGinty. That guy, he does what he wants. He's one of those artists, and they've come up on the show before. People who just, they don't compromise. They do what they want to do, and they find a way to be successful doing it. Successful enough that they can pay their bills. I really hope that the Wooden Tops find a way to get over to the States. I'd love to see them. Anyway, thank you again, Dave, for requesting the Wooden Tops. That was fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please, if this is your first time... Go into our archives and see if there are other guests that we touch on that might be of interest to you. That's what we do here is we try to track down the artists that we don't hear from often enough and get their stories. You can go into iTunes and you can subscribe to the podcast real easy. We put new ones out every Tuesday and you can write us a review while you're there. You can find us on Facebook, just like our Facebook page. You can communicate with me that way if you want. If there's somebody you would like me to track down for you, let me know and I will do it. You can also send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. And you can go into YouTube and subscribe to our playlist. Just type in The Hustle Podcast Playlist. I add videos. Try to find sort of the more the rare or more obscure, maybe some live footage or some interviews of our guests. Sometimes back in the day, you know, the less obvious stuff to give you more context of who these people are. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan Makiewicz, Jan the man, my right-hand man, for producing this podcast and for all the great work he does. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week with another guest. And just to give you a little teaser who that is, anyone who listens to this podcast frequently knows that I'm mildly obsessed with people who have songs on soundtracks to movies that I grew up on. That's who next week's guest is, and it ties into a 30th anniversary that you may or may not be aware of. So come back next week, find out who that is. Very interesting story. We'll talk to you all later.